The message today is a little strange because it really is death and mayhem again. But it's interesting to me how God orchestrates every circumstance in our life and the life of the church so that the gospel may go forward. God does that. And today is no different. And as you and I think about this episode in Acts chapter 12, where Herod, the king, dies. I want you to think about people in your life. Is there a person or maybe a person in your life that are amazingly powerful, smart, ingenious, that they have skill and ability and power beyond what you could ever think that you might have? And, and, and these are people that it, it, simultaneously you're in awe of them, but you're also scared of them because they might have power over you. They might have leadership over you. They, they might have some influence over you. And so they're amazingly strong or powerful or intelligent, athletic. Uh, they, they might be brilliant. They, they might be in leadership in some way but they also have power. So, so they're in the one hand, man, I, I really am intrigued by them. On the other hand, I'm not sure I want to be in the same room by myself with them. That, that's kind of the image here. And so as the church is experiencing in these early days of the organized church, they're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing some trouble They've seen one of their leaders killed, another one arrested and miraculously freed. And now the man responsible for all that is going door to door, so to speak. And he's going to these two places called Tyre and Sidon. And these places are on a map that you see on your screen here in a second. You can see on the right there. Tyre and Sidon are along the coast, if you can read that. Uh, Damascus, they're in modern-day Lebanon. Israel is just to the south. You see Jerusalem. In the ancient world, uh, the map on the left, you can see Tyre in the top left. Sidon is just out of the, of the range there. But this is where these places were. And so King Herod is mad at the people of Tyre and Sidon. He's angry with them. The Bible describes it as he's, at a, he's in an emotional war with these people who are living in modern-day Lebanon. So it gives you an idea geographically where we're talking about. And so if you've got your Bible, look at Acts chapter 12. We're going to see what happens when King Herod, who's mad at these people in Tyre and Sidon, what happens when he goes and tries to or excuse me, when they go and try to reconcile with him. Acts chapter 12, verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, wouldn't you like to have that name? You, you actually wouldn't because the root is blasphemy. Uh, you wouldn't want that. The king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. 
And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now, this is a strange little passage. Like, Pastor, who cares about Herod dying? Uh, He was mean and nasty and good riddance. Let's get to the good part. Well, this is the good part. This is what they make movies about, is this part. You have these two coastal cities, Tyre and Sidon, who are dependent on grain from Galilee to survive. Herod is mad at them, and so he's kind of cut the line off on them, and they're struggling, and so they need to have an audience with the king to try to restore a relationship, to try to end this emotional war that, that they're having with him. And so what do they do? They do what everybody does. They go to the guy who knows the guy. That's what they do. That's Blastus. He's the guy who knows the guy. And so they arrange with Blastus, i.e. they bribe him to get an audience with the king. That's what they do. They persuade Blastus by filling his pockets so that they can have an audience with the king. Because they want to reconcile, and you and I would too, if we didn't have food and the person in charge of getting us food was holding it, we would want an audience with him or her. And so on the appointed day, Herod delivers uh, this great speech. We don't know the content of the speech. We don't know the subject matter. We, We don't know much. But the people respond in a very unique way. They begin to hail him as a God, a little G God. And no one corrects him, not even Herod. No, no one corrects the people. No one tells them, no, hang on, he's powerful, but just wait a second, no. He allows them to exalt him and the others that he is in charge of allow the people to do the same. I'm sure out of fear. How we have a tendency to exalt people who may or may not be worthy of exaltation. It happens all the time in our culture and the advent of social media has only increased that where people who for seemingly no reason are exalted because they can do this better than me. And they get exalted. There are people because they play a sport or can play a character on TV or the movies better than others, all of a sudden they're experts in everything and they're exalted. We, we have a culture of exaltation and the ancient world wasn't much different. They just didn't have cell phones to record it all. And so here we have this moment of, of 
the people exalting this one man because of his great speech and his great power that he's a God. Now, I don't know if you've ever been confused for somebody famous or not, and someone sought your autograph or a a selfie with you. I, I, I don't know, maybe. If you have, just let me know afterwards. I'd love to hear the story. I'm being serious about that. I'd love to hear it. But oftentimes, people confuse others for those that are famous. They're called, what, doppelgangers. Right? You look like somebody important or famous, but you're not. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate the encouragement. You look famous, but you're not. Man. Well, that happened a, a number of years ago to someone very famous. Many of you will know who the character of this story is about. But in 1945, some of you were alive back then, World War II had ended. The former soldiers were coming back, including a number of famous baseball players who gave up two to four years of their career to serve uh, in the war. One man in particular did this and decided to show up at a baseball game, his own team's game, the famous Joe DiMaggio. He was trying to be that day when he walked into the stadium, Yankee fan Joe DiMaggio, not Yankee great Joe DiMaggio. So he snuck into the mezzanine with his four-year-old son, whose name is Joe Jr., a fan noticed him, and then another, and then another, and then another, and then the whole stadium kind of became aware. And so they yelled out in unison, Joe, 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 Joe DiMaggio, over and over and over again. He, he was in awe. And, and as all this is happening around him, Joe, 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 Joe DiMaggio, he looked down at his four-year-old son who was aghast, was in awe of what was happening around him. And he looked up at his dad. He said, Daddy, everybody knows me. <laughs> There's a writer that reflected on this episode, this encounter that little Joe Jr. had. He says this, the junior Joe DiMaggio made the innocent child's mistake of assuming all the glory at Yankee Stadium. He assumed that all the glory that afternoon belonged to him and not to his father. Human beings, however, make a far less innocent mistake when we live as if our lives were all about us and our glory, rather than about our heavenly father and his glory. As the apostle Paul writes in Romans one, the fundamental sin of the human heart involves a purposeful failure to honor God 
and to give thanks to him. That is to give the Lord glory in the form of worship that he alone is due. That was Herod's great error. That was the people, that was their great error. That they assigned glory and worth to a human. Even Joe DiMaggio understood that fact on his son's innocent mistake. Now, little Joe Jr. didn't endure significant consequence from his error of having an inflated ego as a four-year-old. He didn't endure consequence from declaring everyone chanting his name. But Herod did. The Lord judged him. And the, Lord's judge, the Lord judged him by death. And we know that this event actually happened. And we know when it happened. It happened in AD 44. Because not just as the scripture recorded, but Josephus... The ancient historian records it actually in greater detail than Luke does here in Acts. There's more detail on the robe than Luke provides. There's detail about Herod not correcting the audience when they hailed him. And though a little gross, a little strange, it says the worm started eating him. Now, we probably have that, or at least I do, a mental image of all of a sudden he's sitting on his throne or he's standing and the worms just kind of come out of the ground like an Indiana Jones movie that's playing at Stevenson this weekend, by the way. Coming up out of the ground and just sort of eating his feet and coming up. That's actually not what happened, just for the record. More than likely, these were intestinal worms that ate him from the inside out. And ancient scholars who look at sort of death and uh, exhuming those that are dead, oftentimes folks in the ancient world would have these parasitic worms that would ball up in their intestine. And when you have intestinal problems, you have problems, right? And more than likely, that's what happened. The eating of worms was probably internal, not external. And so the king dies of this intestinal parasite rather than worms crawling all over his body. But it's a tremendous reminder to us that God alone is worthy of our highest praise. God alone is worthy of our highest praise. I get excited when my kids do great things. I get excited when my wife does great things. I get excited when I do great things. I get excited when people that I root for and cheer for and believe in, when they do great things. But I never want any one of us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. That's in the Bible also. That we as people of faith, ought to think highly of ourselves. Why? Because we're children of God. We've been adopted into the kingdom that lasts forever. We've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. 
We need to think highly of ourselves, but not too highly, because there is one and only one who deserves our highest praise. Because when you and I make the mistake of assigning worship to anyone but God, just as Herod did and these people did, we violate the first two commands of God that are pretty simple. And we forget that even as Acts chapter 10 declares that the Lord is Lord of all and over all. And he gives his glory to no other as Isaiah says in Isaiah 42. He gives his glory to no other. And so may we not make the mistake of giving glory to the wrong person. And we not make the mistake of thinking too highly of ourselves or someone else. And on the flip side of that, let me encourage you, don't think too lowly of yourself either or to push someone down erroneously. No, we are called to be people who lift others up, to help remind them of how beautifully they've been created. We're to remind them about their purpose, a God-ordained purpose that only they can fulfill, that we've all been created beautifully and wonderfully in the image of God so that you and I can fulfill a purpose that no one else in our world can fulfill, only you can, for the glory of God. So don't make it about yourself, make it about him. That's when we give him the highest praise, when we live our life in full abandon to him and to no other. Herod forgot that. He forgot that there was one worthy of praise. And he tried to take it himself. He didn't correct anyone. And so as this is happening, as, as Herod is... Uh, dying from the inside out, something else is going on. The gospel is beginning to spread just as Acts chapter one said it would. It would start in Jerusalem and then it would go to Judea and then Samaria and then the other uttermost parts of the world. Well, in that day, we're kind of getting to the uttermost parts at this point. <laughs> we're, we're getting there and it's beginning to do that. Verse 24 is perhaps the most important phrase in the whole little passage here. The word of God increased and multiplied. Similar language is used in chapter six and chapter nine, and then chapter 13, we're gonna see it. And then in chapter 19, we're gonna see it again. This phrase, the word of God increased and multiplied is the heartbeat of the church. The word of God would increase in our midst and that we would take it and multiply it beyond the walls. That's why over and over again, about every year or so, I remind us that, hey, if you've been a Christian uh, more than three years, you probably should know at least three verses of scripture. And if you've been a Christian for 20 years, it would probably be good for you to know at least 20 passages of scripture. 
It would be great if you knew more, if, the, if you hid the Bible in your heart so that it would increase and multiply, that we would know for every year we've been a believer, we would know one verse, one, just one. That we could share in a moment's notice that if someone came to us and said, why do you have hope? Why is your life different? We could share even John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. You know what? He loved me enough to send his only son. So whoever believes, I believed, would not perish but have eternal life. And that we would have those passages in our mind and our heart so that the word of God would increase in our own lives and it would multiply to the world around us. That's what's happening here in the early church. The message of Jesus is spreading. The gospel is spreading. And at this point in the account of Acts, in the history of the church, right? Because that's what Acts is. Acts is the beginning of the church. It's the early days of church history. At the beginning of church history here, we see the power of the gospel is in stark contrast to the power of Herod. Who is more powerful? The government or God? Who is more powerful? God's church will not be stopped. I pray that you are comforted every day, that you are challenged every day to know that the gospel is the most powerful force in our world for change. The gospel is the most powerful force. Not our leaders, not education, not, not our government, not big business, not small business. No, the gospel is what changes our world. It is the most powerful force for good, for change. And so let's go to those places of politics and business and education and community involvement and take the gospel to those places. That's our calling because the gospel will change the dynamic of all of those environments. And so Luke, as he's writing this book, he helps us see the, the complete reversal of the church's situation in a matter of moments. We began chapter 12 last week and James is dead, Peter's arrested, all hope might be lost. And then there's a miracle. And then there's these little cities over here that aren't getting their grain. And so they bribe a guy to talk to Herod. Herod declares how awesome he is and great and mighty. Everyone agrees wrongly and he dies. Like that's what movies are made of. This, this is unbelievable reverse how God orchestrates every circumstance so that the church will continue to flourish. And sometimes he does that by bringing heartache to the church. He does that by bringing struggle to the church, pain. And sometimes he does that through miracles, powerful, undeniable, inexplicable. And sometimes he does that by removing the people who are in the way. 
God will use a variety of circumstances to make sure that the church continues. And so you have this scene of being arrested. Peter's arrested. He's released. Herod dies. And now all of the hostility towards the church is in flux. In the next chapters, we're going to see how the gospel really does go to the uttermost parts of the world. The same calling that you and I have. And so, as I think about this death narrative, I don't want to be guilty of underestimating the power of God and overestimating my power or anyone else's power. I don't want to be guilty of that. I don't want to be guilty of underestimating the sovereign power of God. I also don't want to fret over God's timing. This timing is unbelievable here. The disciples are kind of running scared at this point. They all leave town because Herod is on the rampage. And then Herod dies. I I don't want to fret over God's timing. And so as the church, let me encourage you to do two things. Because when you and I do these things, I believe the church, the word of God will increase and multiply. You and I need to love and help each other. Love and help each other. Those followers and their prayers of doubt about Peter being released, were still there for Peter. They prayed. They gathered together. They bonded. They worked. Let us be people who love and help each other, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And let us be people, this is the second thing, who humbly share the message of true salvation. I appreciate Nanel's testimony this morning. We're very good at following the social cues of church. We're very good. You guys are masters at it. Do you know why I know that? Because when we do the welcome after the first song, What do you do automatically? You sit down. If you've ever noticed me, and I'm sure you do because I'm easy to spot, up here in the front row, I wait five seconds at least after you sit down. Do you know why? Because nobody told me to sit down. But we just know what to do. Now you know my tricks. But we know what to do. We we understand how church should operate in our minds. And yet God really has one purpose for us. 
to completely surrender to him and to share the message of salvation so that the word of God may increase and multiply. That faith and eternity are found in no one else except Jesus. And so let's not just have the social dynamic of church down. Let's have the message of church down. And let's declare that to anyone who will listen and even those who won't with grace and mercy. And let's exalt the one who is deserving of all praise and all honor. And though I'm confident that none of you have ever claimed to be a God, little G or big G, I'm confident you've never done that. May we not fall into the trap of selfishness. May we not fall into the trap of it's going to be my way or I'm going to be in an emotional war with you. May we not fall into the trap of a lack of love for those around us. Because I'm only concerned about me. No, I want to be the person that God has called me to be. I want to be a disciple-making missionary who sees the word of God increase in my life and in the life of those around me, those who are far from him and those who are close to him. Then we will see a mighty movement in our area. And God may have to remove some folks who are in our way And he may do that with grace and kindness, and he may do that supernaturally. We don't pray for that, by the way, people. We pray that God's word would never be stopped and that his church would flourish and thrive. Not because of somebody else, because of me, because of you. The word of the Lord would increase and multiply and that his name would be declared as great and mighty. Will you bow with me?